0: walking in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate the brethren. It's a miracle that anybody's here. Thank God. Hallelujah. Talked about, uh, it's not about you, about pleasing the Lord, you know. And I've been thinking a lot about how to please the Lord, you know, because many, many times in my life I'd say, well, Lord, I I just want to be pleasing to you, Lord. I think about what what really pleases the Lord, you know, in my life, because that's what I want to do, right? And um, Scripture came to my mind in the Book of Romans, chapter eight, in verse eight. In there. Be good to, if you got a pen or you can mark it in your Bibles and kind of take notes of some scriptures tonight. I think it'll be helpful for you in the future to know these scriptures. David said, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we don't want to sin against the Lord. We've got to hide his word in our heart. The only way you can hide his word in your, your, heart, your heart is to know his word. And so you want to Keep these scriptures and and be able to use them in your daily life and be able to share with others, be able to use them against the enemy, be able to bring them to memory. It will help you. The Bible said, The Lord said, If you seek me with all your heart and your soul, I will be found. So, this has got to be the most important thing in our lives that we're spending time in God's Word, seeking the Lord, talking to the Lord. Um, the Lord says in Isaiah 26.3, he says, Perfect peace will I give to him whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I like my mind stayed on the Lord all the time. In order to have my mind stayed on the Lord, I'm going to be in his word all the time. But in Romans chapter 8, in verse 8, it says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I can't do it. So that tells me if I cannot please the Lord in the flesh, what does it mean? I guess we first need to define what being in the flesh is. And Romans seven defines what being in the flesh is. Paul spoke of that, and he started. We talked about that last week. And first of all, it says in Romans 4, Romans seven thirteen says that sin. It says. Uh, Was in that which is good made death in me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. One thing that will separate us from God, one thing he says, he said, the scripture says in Psalms that the Lord is angry with the sinner every day. In Proverbs 28 and 9, it says that if we turn our ear from the hearing of the law, law that even our prayer will be an abomination to the Lord. And in Psalm 66 in verse 16, it, it, says, it says there that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So one thing that will separate you from the Lord is sin. So... Here in Romans seven, Paul writes, that, Let sin become exceedingly sinful. Make it a big deal in your life. Don't think that it's not a big deal." And we study that a lot about uh, about that sort of thing.
1: So, yes, sir. I mean, like, like in my case right now. So, if I pray to God right now, He wouldn't even
0: hear my prayer. Well, well, it's easy to fix that.
1: Right.
0: You see, the way you fix that is you come before the Lord and break before God cry out to for forgiveness and turn from your sin. The scripture says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. he says this, if I cover my, the man who covers his sins, people say, well, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus or I'm covered by this or that okay. or I'm covered by this person. He said, he that covers his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes his sin shall be shown mercy. So if, as long as you, you've confessed your sin and you forsake your sin, then he shows you Mercy. And that mercy, it says, let us, in, in uh, Hebrews four thirteen it says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. So there must be a turning of the heart. There's only one prayer the Lord hears when the person is in sin, and that's the prayer of, of a confession with repentance. Right. We see in Second Corinthians 7 and 10, it says that godly sorrow leads to Repentance. And then repentance leads to salvation. And we've studied that in it, seeing that salvation doesn't come before repentance. Salvation comes after repentance. So it is a turning away from sin and then coming unto salvation. So do you understand what I'm trying to say? Does that answer your question somewhat? Okay, good. So it says, uh, Paul writes here, he says, for we know that, and I, want, I, want to, I know we've been through this, but I want, I want to, I want you to help me a little bit with this tonight. I want to ask you some questions and get your answers. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. What does carnal means? i am in mean, Romans seven fourteen. Because this is worth goes. You're going to hear this a lot over your lifetime. So if if I cannot please God, if I'm in the flesh, I cannot please God. So just to bring you remembers, can somebody tell me what does it mean? He says. But I am carnal. What does it mean if I'm carnal? I'm a okay. More. Flesh. Fleshly. Yeah. So, so he can't please God. He's of the flesh. Uh, how about some more definition? Anybody uh, got anything else? You're not Good. She says she's unregenerated. Unregenerated. Uh, that comes from Titus chapter 3. Uh, it says, he talks about the person is unregenerated, but, car- but the word carnal, if you look up carnal in the strongs, it's, it, it, it will tell you unregenerated. So if I'm unregenerated, what does unregenerated mean? I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't been reborn. I haven't been gen- regenerated means that you're a new person, right? Like in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are past, and all things have become new. Hey, Bob, welcome. Come on in. Good to see you. On Second, right oh, you Which one are you talking about? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says that Jesus died for us, that we no longer should live unto ourselves, but unto him who died for us. It's like what you were saying while I've seen that it's not about me, okay? And you're exactly right, because he said, since Christ died for us, we don't live unto ourselves anymore, but we live unto him who died for us. And then he goes on to verse 17 there, and he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. So regenerated means a new creature. Carnal means unregenerated. So if you 're unregenerated, is, is, he sa- is that person saved that is carnal? No safe. can't be. Second Corinthians 5:17 and 515. So if you 're unre- unregenerated, you're carnal uh, I mean carnal means fleshly, carnal, wor- uh, worldly unregenerated That's what if you look it up in Strong's or the, of, of one of the other dictionaries, that's what it says. So Paul is speaking here about an experience that he had when he was when he was not saved, when he wasn't born again, when he wasn't in Christ yet. He's talking about an experience that he had, because if you read first, you read Romans six and you read Romans eight, you'll see just the opposite. Then he says right after that, sold under sin. What does that mean? Anybody got a definition that? Sold under sin. If you're sold under sin, what's going on with you? Anybody? Got a call? You're in bondage? You're in bondage. You're, in bondage, so you're, enslaved, the same you're enslaved. Oh, you didn't looked up a definition, did you? No, <laughs> I
1: was looking up the uh, Strahl's Accordance for uh,
0: karma. Okay. So uh, if you're sold under sin, you're in bondage to sin, right? So in this state, Paul is speaking about, first of all, he says he's unregenerated and he's in bondage to sin right now we know that in Rome, in john 8 jesus said this he said if you if if you continue in my word you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free and then they asked him they said what is freedom what does free mean because they said hey we've never been in bondage to anyone we're children of abraham and jesus then begins to explain in romans do, do we need to go there does everybody know that pretty pretty familiar with that huh you want to go there? Okay, hold your place there. Go to John John chapter 8. Let me give you a little history of John chapter 8. First of all, it starts off in John chapter 8. There's a woman is caught in adultery. Caught red-handed and in adultery. The scribes and Pharisees bring, bring her to him. He says, "This woman's been caught in the act of adultery." In the Old Testament, no the covenant. They said for us to stone her to death. And they said, "Ask Jesus, what should we do?" Jesus bit, went down on the ground. You remember, they began to ride on the ground. They were all convicted in their conscience, and they one by one walked away. Then Jesus said to the woman, "Where are those that condemn you?" And she says, "They're all gone." He says, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more." Okay. All right, so she, she left, and right after that, and that's, that's in verse 11. In verse 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. Let's back up a little bit on that one. Remember John 10 where he says, My sheep hear my voice, and a stranger's voice they will not follow. My sheep follow me, right? Remember that? Everybody, you're familiar with that. My sheep follow me, so he's saying here. He says, "I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness." I can can I can I abbreviate and say light? What is light? Light is what? The
1: absence of, dark, of uh, Darkness is absence
0: of light. Okay, but what is light? A lot of times, scripture says, uh, "If I say that I walk in the light and I walk in darkness, I lie and do not the truth." What is that talking about? If I'm walking in the light, I'm walking. What am I walking in the darkness? Huh? Yeah, if you're walking in the light, you're bearing fruit. You're walking in the right direction, the right direction. that's right. Righteousness, that's right, you're walking in the light. Light is holiness, light is no sin, light is righteousness of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Darkness is death, death. sin, Wages of sin is death, unrighteousness would be the opposite. Light and darkness would be the opposite. Now, if you bring light into a dark room, what happens? There's no more darkness, right? The darkness disappears. Because light and darkness cannot abide together. Right? That's why he says, You're children of the light, not to have dark- fellowship with those that, that are darkness. You know, and he, he uses this a lot in the scriptures. But here he's saying, I am the light of the world. You know, look to me. I'm the, I'm, I'm the righteousness of the world, I'm the holiness of the world. And he says, He that follows me, and I always think when I see follow, I always think about sheep. My sheep follow me, they hear my voice. A stranger's voice they will not follow. Now, what's the stranger's voice? That's the enemy. Now, how does the stranger come and try to speak to you? Through a dart, right? Like taking the shield of faith to stop all the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary walks about like a roaring lion seeking who may, may devour. That's a stranger's voice. That's the enemy. That's darkness. He says, a stranger they will not follow. They will not listen to my sheep. They hear my voice, they follow me, and they go wherever I go. So he said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. He's not going to walk in unrighteousness. He's like, because he's a sheep, but shall have the light of life. Then he goes on further from this. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And I noticed that I can't get out of this chapter without telling you something that I've been been noticing. This has just been jumping off the pages to me. Because Jesus says here, he says in verse um, 21 he says then jesus again said unto me again unto uh, unto them i go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins where i go you cannot come then said the jews will he kill himself because he saith where i go can i come and he said to them again he says you are from you are from beneath i am from above you are of the world i am not of the world I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Three times he told him that. You shall die in your sins. What was he telling them? You know? <laughs> That's good, Claire. <laughs> He's telling them that, man, if you got sin and you die in that sin, you are in trouble. Why? Because Revelation chapter 21, verse. 27 says that no sin shall enter the kingdom of God. Say, man, you, you know, you're a mess. Then some of them began, as they began to listen to him, some of them started to believe on him, on the Lord. And it says here, as they begin to believe on him, verse 29, and he, sent, and he that sent me, he says, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. See, he says that again. Remember, we said, I want to please God. I want to please God. Well, Jesus said, I'm always doing what pleases God. What did that mean? Did Jesus ever walk in the flesh? No, he never walked in the flesh. So what we, if you're not walking in the flesh, what are you walking in? Huh? You're walking in the spirit. Right? So Jesus always walked in the spirit. Now, what do we know about walking in the spirit? Give me something that you know about walking in the spirit.
1: Those that are my sheep, hear my voice, and walking
0: in the spirit, hear God. Okay. Um, That's good. Galatians 5 and 17. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So walking in the spirit, it's impossible to mess up, right? If you're walking in the spirit, it's impossible to sin. So Jesus was saying, man, I'm always pleasing to God. So he was always walking in the spirit and we know that he never never sinned. So that's what God wants us to be pleasing to. I want to be pleasing to the Father, pleasing to Jesus all the time. What pleases him? to walk in the spirit. There's a scripture in, in, um, in, in Mark 7 and also in Matthew 15, 8, it says this, he says, Dra- they draw near me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay? So, you know, we could be here and we could be, and be lifting our hands and praise the Lord, draw near to God, draw near with my mouth and praising him with our lips, but your heart could be far from him. And right after that is when Jesus comes back and he he says, right after he said that scripture in Mark 7 and and Matthew 15, he says this. He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. Because he he said, but it's what comes out of the mouth. Because what's in the heart is abominations, adulteries, fornications, evil evil thinking, evil speaking, all those things. So the Lord says, man, if you're going to worship me, make sure your heart's right. Because that's what I'm really pleased in is the heart being right with me. I'm really pleased in obedience. So we know that, that all sin that comes out, if we just attack the sin, we only attack the symptom of, of the real root of the problem because the root of the problem is the heart. Then Jesus goes on after that, and he says this. He says, if you can, in verse 31, then he says, If you continue in my word, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And and then they answered. They said, "We, we, uh, we be Abraham's children. We've never been in bondage to anyone." And Jesus says, "Uh, "You shall be made free." And Jesus answered them, verse thirty-four: "Truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin, or a slave to sin." It says. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So here we saw in Romans 7 where Paul was saying that he was sold under sin means you're in bondage to sin. Jesus said he came to set you free from sin. You see that? And he defines it by saying Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, right? So that's what, we, that's what we see with that. So sold under sin, a slave to sin. Can you give me another scripture that talks about that, of being free from it? Anybody give me another scripture. Uh, what about Romans 6? Let's go to Romans 6. Verse 6, knowing this, that old man is crucified with Christ, that henceforth we should not serve sin uh, with, with, with him, that the body of sin might, might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is what? Freed from sin. So when you die in Christ, you're freed from that. Uh, let's go a little bit further. Verse 11. Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So he says, it's command to God, he says, reckon yourself, consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey in lust. Then he goes further than that and he says, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion or power over you. Then he comes on down and in verse um, 18, he says, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So you see what it said in Romans 7 when it said you sold under sin, he was in bondage to sin, speaking of an experience he had. A lot of people, what really scares me is a lot of people claim that they're living a, a Romans 7 experience. What was the Romans 7 experience? He's saying the things I want to do, I end up not doing. Things I don't want to do, I end up doing. You know, that's a, that's a... That's a terrible place to do that's not a Christian's walk that's a place of an unregenerated person's walk a person that's in bondage to sin's walk like it says here it's not a Christian's walk and a lot yet a lot of them say, well that's where I'm living is right here for he says here let let's go a little closer with it uh, verse uh, verse 17 now then it is no more I that do it, but that sin that dwelleth in me. Uh, If we in Christ, the Bible says that God is dwelling in me. Remember he said in John 14, 23, he said, um, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You know, when when we look at the word, guys, and we we have to examine our lives with the word, what the Bible says in James chapter 1. And if I look at the word, it says, if I love him, I'm obeying his commandments and I'm not obeying his commandments. What I need to do is I need to humble myself and say, God, you're right. And I'm wrong because I'm not really obeying your commandments. And therefore, I really guess I don't love you. And then get it right. But he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then. I and my Father will come and make our abode in you, we will live in you. Remember it said in 1 John 4, 4? About remember that scripture, 1 John 4, 4? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But yet, here we see him saying uh, uh, that uh, there, that, where, where were we at? <laughs> it's no more how they do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. They he's saying it's his sins that dwelleth in me. Remember what we said about light and darkness? They can't dwell together, right? So he's saying sin's dwelling in him, so that's darkness. So you can't really have darkness dwelling in you and light dwelling in you at the same time. So he's speaking of a past experience. Let's go further with that. He says the same thing in verse 20. Then he says in verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight. See, there's a law there. That's called the law of sin and death. I want to show you something on that. Um, Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. Here's the law of the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So I'm free from that law of sin and death. I don't have to live in that anymore. I'm not going to live in that anymore. Christ set me free. In Romans 7, you see he's saying um, he's a wretched man. A wretched man is a man that's not right with God. And he cries out to Jesus to deliver him. For, verse 3 says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. We talked about that at the house that was condemned last week. Why did he do this? Why did Christ send his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like us, same flesh as we came in, Jesus did the same. Why did he do it? Verse four tells you, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Like you said, Ben, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't won't walk in it. So we, we see that in order to be pleasing to the God, to the Lord, we walk in the spirit all the time. It says later, and if we walk in the flesh, what happens? You can't please God. Um, verse 13 says, for if you live after the flesh, what's going to happen? You shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. shall live. So you put to death those deeds of the body to live in the Lord. Anybody got any comments or questions so far? Anybody clear on that?
1: Well I think uh, whenever he's talking about Jesus had to take on the sins if you go back up to verse 25 in chapter 7 there he says uh, uh, so then on the one hand I myself with my mind I'm serving the law of God but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. So Jesus had to know exactly what it was like to be tempted by these sins even though he did not sin so that he would know how we would feel in the flesh whenever temptation comes upon us Right. so therefore if, if all of this like Paul is saying here that the law of God is in my mind but it's a deeds to the flesh that on the other hand it uh, on the other hand with my flesh the law of sin it means to me that we have to exercise uh, in order to walk after the ways of God, in order to walk, in walk the after the Spirit, uh, to take on the Spirit of God. We have to live in that Spirit, thereby we have to take <laughs> control over everything that comes against us and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So I believe Jesus knew that. Jesus knew how we would feel even after he... Even after he was resurrected, he knows how he feels because now he's in his glorified body, and we're not. Mm-hmm. He knew how Thomas felt when, when Thomas doubted him because he had taken that with him upon the cross. Right. You know? And so whenever I look at this balance that we have in ourselves between the law of God and the law of sin, then it does, every, every day that we go through, there is some sort of temptation that comes upon us that we have to exercise control over and get rid of it before it leads to sin.
0: Exactly, exactly. Good. That's very good, Bob. You know, it, and, and just to clarify that, um, let me give a scripture to back up what you were saying there. In Hebrews, if you'll turn there just a moment, in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, it says this. Um, if you get there, that's chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. It says, uh, for as much then uh, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, us, he also himself likewise took part of the same. See, the word flesh there, when he talks in even Romans 7 or anywhere, it's from a w- Greek word which is sarx, which means basically the meat over your bones. It's not that it's some kind of nature thing or something or sin nature thing. It's that these this flesh has cravings. It gets hungry, it gets cold, it gets hot, it get, wants won't certain things. And certain things are permissible from God to, for the flesh. To eat, it's okay. To get warm is okay. But certain things it's going to want, you have to say no. Right, like Bob was saying. you say no, you stop. You, know, you, you have that choice to say no or say yes. And when you say yes and give it what it wants, it's something that's not permissible to God, then you become trapped in that sin. You become enticed, it says, because the scripture says every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust or desire. Then he's enticed. He becomes trapped in that sin. Then that sin will bring forth death. But here it says that he took on the same thing, exact thing as we did in the flesh, in his body. And he also himself likewise reported the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of the death, that is, the devil. (coughs) Thank God. He destroyed the power of the devil that comes against us to try to entice us into sin. The Bible says in, in 1 John 3 and 9, if we sin, we're of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, in 1 John 3 8. Then he goes on in verse 15, and he says, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime, we were subject to bondage. To get enticed is to be in bondage to it. The Bible says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, of what a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage into. So if I'm overcome by sin, I become in bondage to that sin. Then if you drop down to verse 18, it's first, in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to, to secure or help them that are being tempted. So you, you see, there he, he was tempted too, just like us, First John one huh? First John one what? John one what? John one. one in what? Uh, what? What you talking about? One, uh, one verse eight, huh? One verse eight to ten. First John one. Yeah, one yeah, ten. yeah. If we confess our sin, and so forth. But before we go there, look at chapter four, and verse fifteen. Hebrews? No. Yes, Hebrews. Yes. It says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses or infirmities, but was what? In all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in all points, just like us. And y'all all know the scripture that says in, in um, 1 Corinthians 10 13 that says, No temptation hath taken us but what is common to man. God is faithful. So we don't have a unique situation. We think, well, maybe somebody else doesn't, have, doesn't understand what I'm going through with this temptation. And uh, my, my, my situation is unique and uh, they don't know the bondage I'm in. And No, he says, no temptation. It's, all, it's, it's common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So there's no temptation that God's going to allow that, that you can't bear He's going to give you a way to escape. And if you take that way of escape, you won't sin. Go ahead. Uh, my biggest thing when I used to
1: hear, and I'm kind of going back a second, when I used to always hear, you know, walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'd say, well, how do you actually walk in the spirit to not fulfill the lust of the flesh? And for myself, for me, it, it, I, like, flood my system with worship music and our closings and reading the Bible, Because like, I know beforehand,
0: when I used to, think it was, uh, walk, I tried to walk in the spirit, but I tried
1: to walk in the spirit. And I was still listening to secular music. Maybe I was having some long conversations. But uh, I just find myself now, today, I
0: just flood myself with every chance that I get. Man, that's a good question. I struggled with that for years, wondering, okay, well, how do I walk in the spirit? Right. You know, it says walk in the spirit. I want to know how to walk in the spirit. The best way to, to find that and, and to understand that. Let's talk about what's the what's walking in the flesh. What are you doing when you're walking in the flesh? Okay, so so if you're not going to walk in the flesh, you can automatically walk in the spirit. Okay, so so you know so you're doing the very opposite. You're not giving into sin. You're in the word of God, you're listening to the Lord, you're hearing his word, you're walking in his righteousness, you're following his steps. You know, all these are walking in the spirit, just like Jesus did with the Father. He never walked in the flesh, he walked in the spirit. He he said, I do nothing but what the Father shows me to do. I'm walking in whatever he has. I'm walking in totally in his word to be pleasing unto the Lord. Remember, the Bible says that Enoch in in Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's verse 2 says Enoch had this report, that he pleased God, and God translated him. You know what God did? God just took him out, because he pleased God. That man was not walking in the flesh. He was walking in the spirit, because my Bible tells me that you can't please God if you're walking in the flesh. So he, he, he was taken with the Lord, because he pleased God. I want to be noted with the Lord, Lord, I, I'm ple- I want to be pleasing to you. David was another one. King David, I want you to turn with me to this. This is pretty fascinating when I, I saw this. In the book of Psalms, uh, verse, ch- verse eight, chapter 18. Now, we all know that King David messed up, right? I mean, everybody knows about King David's mess up. You know, and but King David really sought repentance. If you go through the book of Psalms, it's about a year. He, he, he went, went deep in his repentance. He was very, very broken, very sorrowful after he got caught and he, he lost his child. It cost him greatly. He lost his kingdom. He lost, I mean, to his own son went, went with his wives. I mean, he went through a lot of reaping of what he had sowed. and He was real, but he got real broken. And instead of going the opposite way back to the world, man, he just got close to God. Matter of fact, when he when he broke the commandment of God, Nathan came to him and told him about the the story of the little one that had the little ewe lamb to to explain to him what he had done. Uh, The Bible says David Nathan told him, you've hated the commandments of God. You hated God." Because that's what we do when we sin against God. He said, man, you hated God's commandments. But then when I go to the book of Psalms after David repented, he began to say, man, I love the commandments of God. I love God's statutes and his commands. What a difference in attitude. It was a rebirth, a regenerated experience with David where he became a new creature, and God made everything new to him, forgave all his sins, separated from him, and he became a whole new creation. Look at some of the stuff that David says and if, I, if you said this today, in the world that we live in today, people would say you just, uh, you're, you're a mess, you're, you're lost, you're, you're everything else. But look at the boldness of what David said. Now, first of all, Psalms 18, you ought to read it sometimes. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. It talks about God is my strength, my refuge, my hope, my shield, my, my strong tower, and my uh, fortified city. He talks about God being his, his, his uh, his protector, and he said, man, I cried to the Lord. The Lord came uh, out of his wrath to protect me. He jumped, came in a chariot, rode over the hills in the clouds, and fire was coming out of his nose, and he was angry. and He took vengeance on my enemies. And he goes and he says here in verse 17, he says, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. He admittedly says my enemies were too strong, but you fought for me and you delivered me from them. But look what he says further down, verse 20. And I want to ask you about it. I want you to think about this. I want you to be prepared to tell me what you think about this. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he repaid me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me And I did not put away his statutes for me. Look at verse 23. I was also upright. Upright means blameless, without blame, without blemish. Before him, and I kept myself from my sins. Therefore hath the Lord repaid me, recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. What do you think about that? <laughs> what do you think about that? I mean, he's saying, "Man, I'm not sinning." The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, and a lot of people will say, "Well, what about what all David did in the past? David got, got David got past the past, and he started believing God. He started trusting God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, God chose to call himself the son of David. This is the Mishibah guy. Right? This is David. David, yeah, King David. Yeah, yeah. But look what he's saying. He, but he's boasting in the Lord. But I mean, you could take it as the or you could take it as the fact. Is David telling the truth or is he lying? It's the word of God. I mean, he just doesn't say partially. He explains it to detail. Man, Listen, guys, I'm not sinning. I put away sin for me. He wasn't in him, no. No.
1: That's right. And he was like
0: really but he still had a choice. Yeah. And he chose to serve and obey God. Yeah, you got more than he's got. You got you can do more than what David <laughs> did. Exactly, was, exactly right. The and we have the helpers, the Holy Spirit in us. And some people are still
1: messing around, you know. Right, right. at look at woman, and that's, you know, you you look like verse way. eighteen of of what David is saying here. says they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. We just read that in Hebrews, where he was talking about, uh, the writer of Hebrews was talking about that if we continue on, then the mercy and the grace of God would come to our help. And it's, a, it's the same thing that if we stay steadfast and in the word, like we were talking about a while ago, because whenever Satan was defeated, his spirit, the, the, like uh, Paul says in Ephesians, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, then that we have the influence of the spirit of Satan that keeps coming at us, but then if we have the influence of the word the influence of God that Jesus in our lives, then that word like what he was talking about helps us to overcome that other influence and that's what David is really talking about here in his righteousness that's when God
0: da- David comes, you know? had a David had a um a real deep experience with repentance. He 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 really had a deep experience with repentance, and that Bob to me is is what is the most necessary entity. I think a lot of people go shallow with their repentance. They they might repent of um, you know pornography, and then they have a problem with unforgiveness. So they got might repent of of this or that, and have a problem with this. But God won't. That's why he, That's why the Lord says in Second Corinthians um, seven ten. He says godly sorrow leads to repentance and when that true repentance takes place then the salvation comes but a, but a true repentance has to go deep he's like the he said the wise man is one who hears more he's like like to a man who dug deep you know he went deep with that repentance so where he got it all out you know but we can do a shallow repentance but then what's going to happen stuff's going to pop up later And then, and what the Lord wants us to do is like, man, go all the way. And David finally did at that point after with Bathsheba's incident where it looks like, man, he went all the way. Because you don't see another Bathsheba experience with David again. That was it. Because he had a real deep repentance. That's what it takes, a real brokenness. David was broken, man. And he, he cried out for days, didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything, cried out. And then, and then he went through all the stuff that came afterwards. You know, of rejection from his son, losing the kingship, running, out, getting run out. His son taking his wives and, and going sleeping with his wives. All the hurt and the pain, but David came through it, and and, and he was a different man. So I just thought that was that was uh, kind of.
1: And neat. I were talking the other day similar to that about uh, today. If you go to Matthew and read the the uh, the, the uh, three attributes of God of prayer, giving, and fasting. A lot of times today, churches will call for a fast, but whenever you come into personal repentance and you want to get that deep, if you go back and look at fasting back in the Old Testament, what did they do? They ripped their clothes off, they throw the ashes all over themselves, they wore old, nasty, sticky sackcloth, and they got into that deep repentance mourning for themselves because they had sinned to the point where they had transgressed against God and they were afraid of him. They were afraid that he was gonna come and smite them. Well, where is that personal, where is that fasting at today that we were talking about? You don't see a whole lot of people. But then we went to that scripture that says that when you do this, you do it and not show, let everybody know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You do it and so that God will reward mm-hmm. you for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think a lot, if, if people will really get, if we'll really take a good look at their heart and see where that they've sinned, they yeah. need to really get into that. But they don't need to experience it with everybody else. It has to be that personally between them and God and when it's done.
0: And, and there was another time, Bob, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, I was reading that, no, Isaiah. Isaiah, it says that I'm not calling you to a fast, the food. I'm calling to you a fast from sin. They were even to fast. Okay, to quit this now. You know, you talk about eating, but quit the fast from this. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a real brokenness. I agree with you. Yeah, they're really broken I, I, before the Lord. We talked about it's,
1: it's like that godly sorrow you were talking about. Yeah. If you get into that godly sorrow, that means that you get to a point in your life, where you just totally yeah, totally broken. Yeah. and broken over that. You know. Yeah.
0: But let's not skip. <laughs>
1: One of my favorite verses. Okay. <laughs> Psalm eighteen, nineteen. He also brought me out
0: to a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. He delighted in me. Yeah, and and he delighted in, in him because he was pleasing God. He was walking in the spirit. anybody else have anything to say on that? We go further. Praise the Lord. Um, I want to ask you another question. I want you to think about this before you answer it. Did Jesus ever say, or was he a friend of sinners? You know, you hear people, you got songs out there that says Jesus was a friend of sinners. And you hear about that. Was Jesus or did Jesus ever say he was a friend of sinners? Or who said Jesus was a friend of sinners? You're not allowed to say Cedric. Okay? Because <laughs> I talked to him about it. Was he or was he not?
1: Huh? But he was All right, let's go to
0: Matthew In the world, not the world. Let's go to Matthew chapter eleven.
1: Eleven.
0: I just want to share this with you because I want to show you, um, and I'll just be perfectly blunt. I want to show you how things can get twisted and people can say things that are really not scriptural. And it sounds good. And people just accept it and go along with it and think, well, that's the way it is. And you may even get have this used against you. I knew one person, they used this against him and said, well, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. You know, so we're all sinners, so, you know, we just be friends with with sinners. But was that really true according to the Scriptures? Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 11, and let's go to verse 18. Um, Jesus says this. You're probably familiar with the Scripture, but you probably never really looked at this close, maybe. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a devil. That's right. John the Baptist, he came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a devil. He, wasn't, he didn't drink alcohol, and he didn't, um, he didn't eat normal food. He ate locusts and wild honey, okay? So he said he came neither eating nor drinking, and he has a devil. The son of man, they say, came eating and drinking, they say, and they call him, behold, a gluttonous and a drunkard, a wine winebipper, a friend of publicans and sinners. So who said Jesus was a friend of sinners? The scribes and Pharisees said that. Why don't they they repeat also that Jesus was a drunkard? Jesus was a gluttonous. They take that verse out of here and they use that to say, oh, you see that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That's not, that was the scribes and Pharisees saying that, accusing him of three things. A drunkard, a wine biber, a friend of publicans and sinners. He said, "Well, what, well, wasn't he a friend of sinners?" Well, let's see what the rest of the scriptures say. it well, answers is literally? Excuse me. And John,
1: he literally answers exactly what you
0: are asking. Yes, yeah, John fifteen, right?
1: Yeah, he literally
0: says, "You are my friends if you do what I command." So. What verse is that? 14. John fifteen fourteen said he says this. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. So is a sinner doing whatever he commands him? No. So who's his friends? Who's the friends of Jesus? Those who walking in obedience. But you get the very opposite. Jesus, the Bible says that he's willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. You, you, you can kind of say both sides. You can say he died for all those that, that came to him. He, because that's really all he died for. Because he didn't die for someone somebody didn't come for him because his death wasn't anything for them. So he really died for everybody that come, comes to Jesus. So in essence, you're right in that respect. Yeah, maybe I'm just
1: overthinking it. Because I'm just drawing it from where he's saying if someone dies for someone, then obviously... Their friends, like no greater
0: love than to die for your friends, and then people say, "Well, he died for everybody, the sinners alike." Like he really didn't. When you come to the Lord, yeah, he he did, but he didn't. You're right in both respects.
1: He, uh, died. he died because he, there had to be a final sacrifice. Well, yeah, so for, for those who, who want to follow, for those that believe, him. yeah, he said, he, "For God to love the world, that who should not, but that who should ever believeth in Him should not perish." But have everlasting life. So, what he died for was to give us an opportunity, a choice, to be- accept, believe, and accept him. Okay? And when, like Brother Don talks about all the time, is whenever we believe and accept him and start becoming obedient to him and living in his word, then that's when the sacrifice has really taken effect and made it an atonement for our sins. But for every, all the sinners out there, that's not going to have no effect until they actually believe him and start living in his, living in his word, taking up on his image and his, the way he
0: is. Couldn't still make it to heaven prior, though, with animal sacrifices? Yeah, the, the difference was then is, is in Hebrews 10, it says the blood of bulls and he goats could never take away sin. They, they still had a conscience of their sin in the Old Testament before Christ came. So yeah, absolutely. But they had every year they still had a remembrance of the sins from the year before because it would never completely purify their minds or their conscience of sin because they couldn't take it away. The difference is when Jesus came, remember, John says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away your sin. So that when now he says he takes it away that you have no more consciousness of that sin anymore. It's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. It could never be washed away by the blood of bulls and he goats. It could never take it away. You could be forgiven. There was always forgiveness offered throughout the Old Testament, but they couldn't. Wa- it couldn't take it away. So they always had this conscience. They always felt guilty. They always had that consciousness of that sin. So
1: it's just kind of an earthly luxury. I don't think if you think it make it to heaven either way. Then the real benefit of Jesus
0: dying. Is just no, the, there's power. There's a power that you receive in us. That's why Jesus, Jesus after Jesus died. He said, who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the son of God? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. There's a power when you receive. Thanks be to God that gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. That he gives a power to you and which enables you to walk and carry out his commandments and statutes, which he actually made them more difficult than they were in the Old Testament because of the power he's given to us to walk in through him, through what he did. It was his supreme sacrifice that washed our sins away and empowers us to be able to live that life in him, that abundant life, as overcoming all in our lives.
1: I don't think they really went to heaven. They They went down. They went to paradise. They went to paradise, but when he became the final sacrifice, the final atonement for their sins, then he went down and preached to them and let them know, hey... I just made the sacrifice for you. Now, you can enter in. But you weren't allowed to before because the the blood of the goats and the bulls and all that wouldn't do it. It had to be on an annual basis that they went and, and, and did an atonement. That's when the priest walked in, sprinkled the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. But when Jesus died on the cross and became the sacrifice, he became the mercy seat. The blood was on him. And whenever that happened, then he was able to go down into the depths, into the paradise and preach to them and say, hey, now you're free. Now you can go because you have no more sin. It's over. It's finished. I have defeated Satan. He can't bother you anymore. So there you go. At that that time, the the place burst open and actually the power that he possessed when he went down there, he said they were free enough to be able, some of them that had passed on were able to be walk around and be seen by the, by the human eye.
0: They were still in paradise. They weren't in hell in the lower parts of the earth. They were in paradise. Abraham's it's just that bosom. Abraham's bosom. And then they were lifted up into the new Jerusalem, which is in the, in the, in the heavens. But like Emmanuel said earlier, Amen. the big difference is too is they could have the Holy Spirit I mean, they could have Jesus on the side of them talking to him. And, and, but Jesus always said, it's more expedient that I leave you and go away. And I will send you a comforter. So that when I'm gone, he will come and live in you. Before, they couldn't have Christ, the Holy Spirit, living in them. They, 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 but, but now, when you come to Jesus, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. They didn't have that. So he empowers you because he's living in you. The Bible says he that we're. We also made it like 100 times harder to follow the law. So it yeah, but, but, but you have Jesus in you, so yeah. It, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, it's easy. With man, it's impossible to walk in the Lord, but with God, all things are possible, is what he told the rich young, rich, rich young ruler, yeah, remember?
1: It just seems like back then, before the Holy Spirit came, it was way harder to actually get as deep in sin as now. Like if you had well, to go out and kill someone to commit the sin of hate
0: murder, you know, that's a lot more difficult than like, well, in you know, the old testament with the penalties was way easier. In the old testament the penalties were a lot different. If you got caught in adultery, they'd go ahead and kill you. If you got caught in a homosexual act, they'd go ahead and kill you. You know, they don't do that today in the day that we're in. And at
1: the same time nowadays adultery is like taking a second glance. It's just like I don't know. It seemed
0: easy To now. the world. To the world. Yeah. But we gotta remember we live in one of the most wicked ages that's ever been. No,
1: I mean it's easier to technically commit
0: adultery. Yeah, that's because because, because of the society out. that we live in, and the culture, yeah, exactly. and, the, and the way man is today. Because he said things would get worse
1: and worse. Because that's the way God made it. Like back then, they had to actually go have intercourse. Like nowadays, there's a
0: million ways to commit adultery based on God's terms that have nothing to do with sex. So, like, I'm lo- I'm losing you. you're committing adultery by just looking at another woman. Oh yeah 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 okay that's what you're saying.
1: <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, now, if, if you what is hate those? that guy and cut you off in traffic, you're guilty of like, murder based on God's eyes. Back then, you would have had to hunt him down and actually stab him. So, like, it's, it's easier to say now. What does okay. that say when it says to make
0: the uh, covenant with your eyes? Make what? To make a covenant with your eyes? Covenant? Oh, uh, Job said it? that. He said, I've I made a covenant with my eyes that I wouldn't look upon a young woman. See? Yeah. And
1: then, what is the other? That was
0: in the Old Testament. Yeah,
1: that's the is
0: that scripture where you want to go there? Look, we're right there. Go to Matthew chapter 5. That's a good point. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Well,
1: that's Maybe
0: what he I means when, write write when he said cut off your arm. Yeah, let's let's go there a minute. Let's, let's start. This is important. This is one of the most important chapters, chapter 5 of Matthew, that, that Jesus spoke of. It's, it's um, very, very in-depth. A lot of people don't want to go there. They want to go to other things that's going to maybe hide what Jesus said. you got to remember, a lot of people want to say, well, Jesus said those things, and they, they, they put them away. They don't want to look at those things. They want to believe, well, we're not under the law uh, you know, and, and we don't have to do those things. So what you're saying, Jesus, right before his death, he said these things, then they're eliminated now? That's not true. They're not eliminated. These are things that you must be obedient to. It's very important to pay attention to Matthew chapter 5. Why? Well, first of all, if you go there, it says, Jesus said in verse 17, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law until everything is fulfilled. So he's saying the law is still there, this moral law that he's talking about. You still can't kill or steal or, or, or commit adultery, all these things. These are against the law. These are against the commandments of God. Out of all twelve ten commandments, there's only one law that the scripture says out of there that you're not under, and that is the Sabbath. All the other ones you are, because he says that in Colossians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 14. But he goes on here and he says, verse 19, this is the verse that really gets to me. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of God. If I teach you that it's okay for you to sin and break one of the least of God's commandments, to covet your neighbor's watch or something, oh, it's okay, you know, God covers that, you're not under that law, you're okay, then I'm going to be called least in the kingdom of God. Then I'm not going to be in the kingdom of God, I'm going to be called least of in there. That's how bad you're going to be talked of. So it's, I take that very, very seriously. And, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called the great, great in the kingdom of God. I want to do it. I want to teach them. Because I want to be called great in the kingdom of God. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. Paul said that he was a, he was a, 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 a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees in Philippians chapter 3. He says that concerning the law, he said I was blameless. I kept it. Now Here, Jesus is saying, your righteousness has exceeded that man's righteousness that kept the whole law. That's what he's calling you to. And you're like, oh, God, I got to do that? Yes. And then he begins to break it down. But like Christian said, he makes it even more difficult for you. So here's something new that he's giving. He's giving something new that they didn't have in the Old Testament. Some new commands for you that God's laying out for you. Look, before, you know, you think you have these commands, but now I'm going to tell you what you need to do even further. He says in verse 21, You've heard that it said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and and whosoever should kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry, not just killed, but angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall